Previously on Anything Goes. Well, let me ask you about that, about, you know, having the commercial run. Because I had commercial runs, too, you know. And don't you find that you hit a crossroads, though, where you just don't want to be doing the monkey dance for somebody's can of soup? Of course. Oh, yeah. You know, and you just want to go. And and that's what's so great about stand-up is that it allows you to to plumb the heart line and to fucking get that visceral hit and flip the bird to um, what we have to do, ironically, in order to make a living. Well, you know, the whole thing about commercials for me and why I became dead inside to them is because a lot of people were not as smart as they thought they were in that business. They were English majors and they were just trying to make a quick buck. Their heart wasn't in it. Why would their heart be in it? You're in a fucking Walmart commercial. I get it, but just the way You mean I was the guys treated, who wrote them and created them? Not the creation so much as the people on set. I just, the level of uh, the way they treated us and we were the final thing on the list. You know, they spent more money on lights than some of the actors in these things and you're treated that way. Oh, yeah. And instead, Stand up, you can treat me badly, but yeah. I don't have to stand for it. You don't have to stand for it, exactly. That's you know? the difference. It's like when those Procter and Gamble suits would come in, right? Right. Oh, man. You know, I, mean, I would agree in marketing, and I would know more marketing. They would be like, you know what? This is about brand. You don't understand. And I'm like, look, fucktard. All right? I have a degree in marketing. You have a degree in history. I'm not going to knock <laughs> you, but turn. don't tell me. Fucktard. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but I do, I do agree turn. that, uh, you know, that's what happens on commercials and yeah, you hit your high water mark, and then when you get your rate up, man, you know, unless and you're going to walk on water on your hands, they're not going to pay you. Right. That sounds like a commercial that you might actually go out for. New Nabisco fucktards. New Nabisco fucktards. And now, let's get to a new exciting show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for some laughs? Are you? Don't touch that dial. It was molested, and it brings back horrible memories. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? Dave Martin. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. And Kathleen McGee. And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Can you dig it? Let's wait for Kathleen to come back. Yeah, back. back. Here we go. So, Dave, you went and had a coronavirus test today? Oh, I yeah. No, not I... today, but I had. Oh, uh, what was your test like, Kathleen? Um, it was like a, it was like a nose one. So you just like look back, and they put it in for three seconds, and then that's it. It was easy. Was it three seconds? Mine was like eight seconds. <laughs> mine only counted for three. Oh, okay. She she did mine. She put mine in in my nose for a, an eight count, and uh, and then afterwards she took it out and. And this is another one of the things that's... Are you gross. sure? Were, were, you, <laughs> were you in an alley or... Like, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was in a guy's van. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... Did you how, buy how speakers? Big, how, did you buy can, speakers afterwards? Yeah, Kathleen, how, was, how big was the cock that you had to put in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny, though? Because everyone was complaining that it was so painful. I was like, well, one time in early in my blowjob career... <laughs> I was, <laughs> oh, correct. I wasn't... I, 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 I've never got off amateur night, so I don't yeah. know. What, I, mean, <laughs> I went to DeVry. I went to DeVry for that. Oh, really? But I was, one time I, <laughs> uh, when I was when I was going towards my bachelor's degree in blowjobs, yeah. um, I uh, I didn't know if I was gonna swallow it or not, and then last minute I backed out too, but it went right up my nose, and oh, that was yeah. mo- that was way more painful than any COVID test. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> 
See, she, when she took the thing out of my nose, she was like, oh, did that hurt? And uh, my response was, uh, I've had a lot more, un I've had a lot more uncomfortable experiences shoving things up my nose. And, oh, uh, and then she kind of looked at me and was just like, and I was just like, I, I couldn't tell if she had a mask on, so I couldn't tell if she got my joke. But I have a feeling it's like most retail people, when you try to be funny with them, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, get the fuck out of here. All right. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. sure the, the COVID nurse wants your jokes. <laughs> yeah. She didn't like I had mine done. I had my mind done because I was going to Rumors in Winnipeg, and I had been in BC, so I was right. like, well, I really want to make sure. Yeah. And Winnipeg is only four cases right now. Like, Winnipeg is almost COVID-free right now. So right. I was... But I didn't get the call until like Friday, Thursday or Friday, and I'd already done two shows. So I'm like, please don't have it because that would be horrible. Right. But it, I got the call and it was okay. But <laughs> is it a, it's a phone call? Is it a real person? Well, in Alberta, you get a you get a robocall if you don't have it. <laughs> right. Um, and then if you do have it, you'll get a nurse on the end being like, okay, this is what you got to do. You have to self isolate. Everyone that lives with you have to has to self isolate. And, but then they still say, you know, like, even if you don't have it, still social distance, because I could have picked it up on my way out. Like, you never know. Right, right. right. So, yeah. And wear masks, and if you're asking well, what, to... What's really interesting is Alberta and, and to BC, there's no blocking of the border. But if you want to go to the East Coast, like, you can't even get through. Like, they're stopping people at no. the border. Well, you if from Ontario, you can't go... Oh, I mean, you really can't go... <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's one thing this is an internet thing but if this happened in real life oh yeah man, that'd be awkward walking away yeah just be there we are sorry sorry so because rumors rumors said they they can't bring comics from toronto right now oh. i think it's because they can't they're not allowed oh they can't nobody from ontario can come in anybody from the west can come to winnipeg okay um, but nobody from east of winnipeg um because I guess there's still quite a lot of cases in Ontario. And, right, right. And I, like, I mean, even we were talking about the American border and we don't think that, I personally don't think it's going to open before the end of the year because no. it's just too out of control down there. And yeah, it would, it would be so stupid to open it. Well, I mean, me and Dave were talking about that case in Florida, the guy at Costco yelling when they asked her, you know, to put a mask on, he's like, you're, you're threatening me. I feel threatened. And this, cause he wasn't wearing a mask. And I'm like, you don't get it. It's, it's not even for people who are inside the store. It's for employees. Because mm -hmm. if I worked at a Costco and Costco doesn't uphold that law or that rule, and I get it, I can sue Costco for a lot of money. Yeah. It's so more about people worrying about catching or almost, it's almost like people, it's like the slip and fall thing in like supermarkets. Right. Where they're sort of like they're all people almost I don't I don't think anybody wants to get it, but they're if someone got it from going to like a grocery store, then immediately they always oh, I always find the American mindset's always like, Oh my god, I can't believe I got COVID. How can I make some money off of this? Right. And you know, it's well, the same thing with the same thing. I there was like a guy that had a tent set up outside of one of the NASCAR events who was selling Confederate flags. And it was just like one of those weird things of just like well, hey, if people want to buy the flags, they can buy the flags. This is America. It's all about making a buck. And it was just one of those like weird moments of just like, you know, just because you can make a buck off of selling a Confederate flag doesn't mean that you should. Right. But and how many times do we have to see somebody who 
hoax it up, hoax it up, hoax it up, either die from COVID or get it. Like, did you see Brian Callen and Brendan Schwab? Yes, yes. Went to San Antonio and acted like fucking idiots and yep. admitted it that they acted like idiots. And now yep. they both have COVID. Well, Brian Callen has COVID. Yeah. And like, I think Brent, Brendan Schwab did too. They probably spread it to other people. For you sure. could you could destroy a comedy club if you show up and you have COVID. Like right. if I went to Rumors this weekend and gave twenty people in Winnipeg COVID, Rumors would be fucked and it would be my fault. Right. Well, yeah. I know. I, and if you're gonna freak out like that, maybe don't wear a T-shirt that says uh, "Running the World Since 1776." <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I know. It's always this. It's always like the textbook idiot that is ranting and raving. And my favorite is when they're like. I have asthma. I have asthma. And they're yeah, screaming. They're screaming. I'm like, you have trouble breathing. Maybe you shouldn't be like screaming like that. Well, that's the thing. They, they talked to that guy in the Costco and, and what he said, and this is in his own words, that he just doesn't like wearing the mask. He finds it hot and he's claustrophobic. Well, nobody likes wearing the mask. No. Everybody feels hot wearing it. I feel even claustrophobic wearing it and I don't have that. Uh, that's the whole point of a mask. It's not going to be I, we're all doing it. Yeah, I flew to Winnipeg on WestJet, and you have to wear a mask as soon as you get in the airport, on the airplane, yeah. unless you're eating or drinking, and it is uncomfortable, and I was sweating under it, but it's just like, it's not the end of the world. There's way worse things in the world than right. sweating on your upper lip. Well, <laughs> when you're on the airplane, was it like every other seat, or what? how was that? It was like, um, both times I had, yeah, there was nobody in the middle of me, right. uh, but... I, it was like I it was surprisingly full um but yeah and then it was right before the flight in Winnipeg home to excuse me Edmonton yesterday they're like oh there's a delay somebody found a substance on the plane and we're like what so the police had to go and look at the substance and stuff and then I'm thinking oh it's probably just a ring pig left his coke behind <laughs> like, or something like that where's but, that yeah, now <laughs> I don't know I don't know Dave <laughs> they haven't legalized go kit. Okay. I do love flying with weed though. It's the best feeling. Like I had pot cookies and gummies, and I'm like, this is so awesome. I know. It used to you going to the airport. It used to be like, oh my god, what do I got on me? Holy shit! And now yeah. it's like, oh my god, where where did did I forget it? Did I not forget to right. bring it? It's like it's it's one of those things. It's kind of the roles have been reversed now. So. Oh, I was on tour once, and I got pot cookies from Joey, and I've had like about three or four flights after I left Toronto and I forgot that they were in my luggage and I'd been flying around Canada with like six pot cookies. I had no idea. I had, I mean, I didn't realize I was doing that. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's always, it's one of those weird things. It's like, it always sounds like a good idea that I'm going to take some pot and that's going to make the flight better. But if, if you have a long flight, then it's just like, it's like being hung over on a plane too. It's like, yeah. it's like, Hey, I'm going to catch a buzz and it's going to be a fun flight. And then it's sort of like, then you have a buzz for maybe about a, like a half an hour, 45 minutes, and then you have to come down, and then you're like, you know, then you're hungover on a plane, which is even shittier. I made that yeah, mistake last time I took a flight over to England. It was just like, then I was just bummed out for four hours. Because <laughs> no one was on my same vibe as me. <laughs> oh, well. Listen up out there. This is Graham Kay, and you're listening to Darren Frost and Dave Martin on Anything Goes on Canada Laughs. Hooray for fun. <laughs> Thank you.
So let me admit them in and see what happens. Hopefully he's not in his underwear because we kept him on hold for a while there. Oh, there he is. <laughs> there he is. All right. And let's make sure we can hear him. And hey. can you hear us? I can hear you. Okay, can perfectly. You? Hey. <laughs> there we go. Oh my gosh, you're just like him. It's crazy. You're just like Mike. That's crazy. Well, I, I'm mini Mike. Uh, you Mike, are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see you're also wearing the Mosquito Lake swag. Man, you picked up on that instantly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. is like one what, what of those, what, what was that magazine that when you were a kid, they'd have the dentist office highlights magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like find all those things inside the picture of just like, well, yeah. there's the Mike McDonald photo. Like <laughs> you're wearing the swag. I can find all the, just all spotting all the Mike McDonald memorabilia around you. That's strange. Super wide leg jeans behind me. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't have all the wardrobe uh, boxes to check <laughs> off, but. Uh, now, did you actually go to a taping of Mosquito Lake, Johnny? No. Did you ever go? No? No, I never did it. I wish I could have, but it, it, it sort of came and went real quick, so. Yeah, I just wonder, because, I mean, obviously it got canceled pretty quickly, but I wonder if it's that old thing where if you're in the crowd, it was great. It just didn't translate it because of editing or, you know, I never really talked to Mike about it. He didn't really ever really talk about it. So I just wondered about that. Well, the one thing Mike always told me about it was uh, that he wished he could have had more input into the scripts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think Mosquito Lake would have been a great vehicle to take, you know, what he did with uh, My House, My Rules. Right. And if he would have taken that and sort of put that in Mosquito Lake, I think it would have been amazing. But, you know, basically he was there as the funny actor and they right. had and they had these guys that you know I'm sure they were great writers, but mm -hmm. I don't think they were writing the exact scripts that would have made Mike really shine. I, he right. would have to have written it himself. So well, let's right. not say how great the writers were. I mean, they, I mean, I'd like to always think that like because I mean, you, you take, I mean, you, you get a guy like Mike, and I mean, what year was his Showtime special? Was that the My House My Rules? I, I I think that was eighty nine, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Right. And you'd think that if someone would just watch that and then develop a show around that, and I mean, I always remember thinking that the premise for a uh, a cottage sort of sitcom is kind of it's 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 ripe for possibilities because you know in that sort of Canadian cottage setup, there's always people dropping in, and it's always like you know I mean everybody has a crazy neighbor. And that's what the sitcoms are based on. It's like almost like the wacky neighbor that lives next door to you. And you could have like seven or eight of those kind of wacky neighbors showing up. But uh, it, it just did seem strange. I know that's always the, the one thing that every comic says when they're given a sitcom and it's supposed to be written around their personality. They always wish they had more input in it. <laughs> if it was more like that. Even the dog doesn't like the writers. <laughs> Eugene is very opinionated, sometimes at the very worst times. <laughs> or the best time, if you want me to shut up, though. So. Yeah, that's a good way to get Dave to shut up. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I always found interesting, and I, and I don't want to bash the CBC. The CBC is necessary for certain things. But the one thing I do know that they are not good at is when something is a success, to keep it going without kind of meddling with it. 
So I don't know why, like some things like 22 minutes, they get, just get to do whatever they want. They're separate. They can, they, they have their own space and, and they had that with Codco and other things, but anything that was shot in Ontario, like comics or other things, they, I guess they just felt it was in their backyard. They had office because Mike was coming off of three number one specials yeah. before Mosquito Lake, which no Canadian comic has ever done. And I mean, obviously I read the Wikipedia where it talks about the one Showtime exec. It was only supposed to be a half an hour special. It became an hour because the stuff was so strong. I mean, this is something you're supposed to reward, not go, oh, we've done enough there. Let's go over here. Yeah. It uh, feels like Canada doesn't appreciate what they have when they have it. Oh, I, th I think that's very much the case. I mean, I think, I mean, we've got to, I think anything that gets shot in Toronto is always subjected to more uh, opinions and more eyes are on it that uh, don't need to be on it. And it's sort of like if something's done on the West Coast or the East Coast, uh, it's, they seem to have a little bit more freedom or, or yeah. the opportunity to get involved as an, as an executive isn't there. And so it's always one of those, I mean, I, I mean, even the kids in the hall had their issues with being in Toronto and not, and not, getting as much freedom until they were sort of in their, you know, third or fourth season, you know? Right. So it'd be interesting to see if, you know, if they, if they went more than one season with Mosquito Lake, if Mike would have been able to get more involved in it or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's common knowledge with Jerry D show that the show that came out was not the first time they did a pilot. It wasn't what Jerry wanted. Jerry kind of put his foot down. They kind of rejigged it to what he wanted. And that's now, the show that's there um, for, you know, for good or for bad. He, he did what he wanted to do. It's a show with his name on it. Just like, you know, Mosquito Lake was the Mike McDonald project. So, you know, different times, you know, different eras, hopefully they learn from their mistakes. Yeah. I always have to say too, it's like as a, as a kid sort of growing up, there was uh, like, Mike was probably the one comic that I was able to recognize as a comic, just from uh, like, um, just cause I remember his appearances on like the Canadian sort of talk show uh, in the afternoon, the Don Heron show. <laughs> and I remember seeing some guy, uh, Mike was one of those comics that I sort of knew him as, a, 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 I would be like, oh, the, oh, Mike McDonald, he's a comedian. And this is before I started following comedy at all. So it was just like, but, and he was sort of one of the guys that was just like, could recognize him as a Canadian comic before I recognized, uh, you know, so many other people as, and uh, just because he had that sort of level of exposure. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Johnny, one of the reasons I wanted you to bring it on, it's been, it's been just over two years. He obviously passed away two years ago in March and, you know, Mike's legacy is, is, you know, kind of always changing with the internet and the ability for people to see him now and check his clips out and all that. But for a good, what was it, five years that he had to, when he went back to, when did he originally go back to Ottawa when he was sick? Do you remember what year that was? Actually, the main reason he came back to Ottawa is dad hurt himself. And, oh, okay. and we were worried about dad. So it was kind of, he had, he wanted to come see dad because we had no idea how long it was going to be. And as it turned out, it was, it was a few more months. So luckily Mike got to spend some time with dad at the very end. Right. But of course, while he was here, we noticed, I mean, he was just, he was messed up. Uh, I mean, he was heavily, heavily medicated when he got here. He, when we talked, he could not form complete sentences. Mm -hmm. And eventually with the Canadian doctors, they, they, 
they kind of they, they took one med away right away and eventually they took another med and 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 they took it down to one quarter the dose and then all of a sudden mike started being like the mike i remember and right yeah uh, so uh yeah he got here it would have been uh march 2011 right and then they bought a house they bought a house in 2013 and right after they moved into their house, that's when he got the call for the liver transplant. So I, when I saw him right before the, the transplant, I saw Mike and, and I even said to him, he, his skin, he looked like the kid on the bus on the Simpsons that always throws up. You know, that, that weird colored kid. And then the next time I saw him, it was like night and day. Yeah. It was yeah. like, it was, the, it was, it was, I was like literally speechless when I saw him. Because for both reasons, the first time I saw him right before, I'm like, that's Mike McDonald. And then the second time I'm like, that is Mike McDonald now. It yeah. was a, a, a transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would almost, yeah, I thought when, when Darren and I saw, Darren and I were doing the Ottawa Yuck Yucks. Uh, and uh, yeah, when I first saw Mike McDonald, I, I didn't even, I barely recognized him. He kind of looked like a, a male version of the woman that got out of the bathtub in The Shining. <laughs> and uh, he did not look great. And then when I saw him the next time, the next time we were at, at that same Yuck Yucks, uh, he, it just, he looked like a totally different guy. He looked like the Mike McDonald that I remember. And, uh, you know, the same Mike that asked me if, uh, if I had a little bit of pot outside. That he could <laughs> and then I said, oh, how, I said, how much, you know, I had sort of, it was one of those little one hitter things. And he, he was just like, I just need just one or two, just one or two puffs. That's all I need. Yeah. And I was just like, well, that's my little <laughs> contribution to you feeling better, Mike, and here we go. So, um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. And, and that's just the hearing going. So it's so rare that you hear going off meds makes you feel better. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. He, we, Do you think that the Americans were just had it drugged up? The American doctors? Yeah. I, I mean, my, my whole thing was I, I really thought that... Uh, uh, you know, down in the States, it's, it's for profit, right? So the more you prescribe, right. the more kickback you get. And, and it, it, it seemed odd that I, our family doctor immediately took him off one of his meds and immediately cut one of them in half. And then a month later said, well, we can cut that in half again. I mean, can you imagine that? And like, he couldn't form complete sentences. Right. It, it was shocking. But, you know, after the transplant, I, I do have to say this. I think the best version of Mike McDonald I ever saw, and I saw a lot of different versions starting from when I was very little, uh, I thought the last five years, and he really knew it was a gift, the last five years, I mm -hmm. think he was the best version of Mike that he was in his whole life. And those That's little... when I knew him. That's how I knew him the most. I knew him a little bit before, but his comedy was so strong. Like... You know, there's lots of comics that'll slowly slow down throughout their career, but he just got better and better. He was so, he was, his feminist bits were amazing. Like mm -hmm. just, he cared so much about women. He, yeah. he, he made sure that women felt comfortable in comedy in those last five years for sure. Like those were the times I knew him and he, I mean, I had him on my podcast, Hot Mess. It was one of the greatest interviews I've ever sat in. I barely did anything. He just talked to me so much but he really did he really did love life and appreciated everything around him for those last two years absolutely 
We well, we had him on our show, and we did actually a quite a long interview with him. It was almost ninety minutes, and we did talk about his past. And the the great thing about Mike was at least he is self aware. Mike, you know, one of the problems with comics not a lot of self-awareness, you know, they don't understand some of the damage that they've done or some of the roads that they have to rebuild because of their actions. And he never used that. He was drugged up or this as a crutch. He just always kind of said, I did these things wrong and I'm going to try to, you know, make them right. And there's some people who still didn't want to talk to Mike and I can appreciate that. And I understand that I got to know Mike very much like Kathleen considerably more just right before the, the surgery and then post. And his history is a b- kind of like a cratchety guy. But when I saw him after that five years, yeah, there was a little bit of that on the character on stage because that's his character. I get it. But off stage, I never heard him bitch, complain, moan. And maybe it is because he knew that he's got the second chance. Yeah. There was years where he couldn't perform at a certain level and now he's there. Yeah. Yeah. And he was so, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no. You, you go ahead, Kathleen. I'm getting like very teary because I just remember like last time I was in Ottawa, he came down and uh, I was like, oh, you, did you come to do a guest spot? He's like, no, I came to see you. And I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> Mike McDonald came to see me. Yeah. She's, she's cuts in and out sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I always say it, it was like, even the one of the times that I was down last time at, at, at the Yuck Yucks, I think with or without Darren, um, Mike actually came to one of the sort of the secondary Yuck Yucks clubs to, to, to hang out. And it was just so odd. As, I mean, even though I've been doing comedy for 15 years, just the idea of Mike McDonald coming down to see, to see me and hang out with me. It was like, you know, there's a lot of always, there's always a lot of comics and actors that always say, don't meet your idols because you'll yeah. always be disappointed. But Mike was one of those guys, I mean, definitely near the end where you were just sort of like, yeah. I'm so glad that, you know, and, and there was even a couple of shows in Toronto at the, at the, at the Duke and a couple of other locations that I booked him to headline. And when I would say to people, oh, our headliner is going to be Mike McDonald, you know, people's eyes would pop out and be like, oh my God, really? And, and, and he would do a show at a, and he would do like an hour but it would always it would fly by like you like it was like nobody's business. It was just it was so he was very smooth on stage and very appreciative of uh, which was always and also when he would ever tag a joke of yours, which is always <laughs> a treat as well. So uh, I have uh, I have nothing but good memories. So but I, I also know that he did have a bit of a history to, in the early years of being, but which are all things that you can look back on and sort of enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got you got to say it. Breslin said it at the celebration of life. You know, maybe that was great. Maybe that was, he was an asshole. Yeah, and it's true. He was. I mean, that, but that was part of the the whole rise and everything that happened with him. And and he was also undiagnosed at that point. So right, you know, nobody was saying anything. But look, everybody, everybody can be an asshole. It's whether you own the fact that you're being an asshole in that moment or not. And you know, like I said, a lot of comics use crutches and when we interviewed him he owned it all and he really took it and and that's why i still talk to him afterwards because a lot of my good friends have some feelings and i'm like that's those aren't my issues those are your issues at least he owned up to it and that was good you know and 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 i have people who don't like me and i don't expect them to ever like me and i'm okay with that and i don't expect when i pass away for my friends to hold that against them that's completely separate 
Um, the one thing I did want to ask you about, because you're obviously on the family side and also a performer, what do you guys want the legacy of Mike to be? Because it's been two years. What do you want to see the legacy of Mike to be? Well, I, obviously, uh, the king of Canadian comedy uh, is right. the legacy we want. In fact, we actually put that on his uh, death certificate thing where it's a job. Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, one day, it, it, it is my hope. I mean, it's a, it would be a massive project. But one day, what I'd like to do is I'd like to put everything on the Internet so everyone can see everything. Uh, right. Uh, my mom just passed away, so we're clearing out her house, and I found this huge box, and I opened it up, and basically it was everything Mike left in Ottawa when he when he went to Toronto in 1980 and moved away. And uh, I was looking at it last night; it was just it was blowing my mind the things that were in that because my family, myself, I guess Mike too, we're all pack rats, so mm -hmm. we don't throw things out. Greeting cards. I mean, I found greeting cards from the 60s. Anyhow. Right. Uh, it's all this early stuff, uh, Mike's early press kit, and you know, talking about how he'd been in the business for 14 months, and right. and it had pages and pages of newspaper clippings. He he was in McLean's magazine, which I found five copies of that magazine along with other stuff. Uh, I I would like if everybody would be able to have access to every article that the family and Mike collected all those years, uh, to the notes, and more importantly, to all the videos, because. Uh, he has tons of, he never threw anything out. He kept them right. for a year, boxes and boxes of videos and notes and books. And so I, I'd like to be able to share that with everybody and the internet seems to be the best place to do it, but it's just a matter of time. And, but uh, I'm, I'm I mean, hoping. Not, not, not to make a suggestion, but you know what you should do? You should go to either Algonquin or another college that's local. And that can actually be a project for a new media um, that's what you should do. Cause I've, I've pointed other people that's in that direction idea. and obviously cause of the historical, the Ottawa poll, yeah. uh, Algonquin is a great college and they have a new media center there. I believe I really think that they could do something and really make it special. Uh, I think you got a great point. And I, I know a couple of the professors over at Algonquin that are in yeah. the music department, so they would know exactly who to hook. That's a great idea. Thanks. Yeah. Because I, I want people to, like, you can YouTube Mike, and there's some clips, and there's some JFL things, and, you know, JFL sitting on 30 galas or whatever, but, you know, those tapes that he made before he went, and that whole, you know, rock and roll era, yeah. a lot of comics don't even know about that era. Like, you, yeah. we talked on the phone about that punk rock Mike. They yeah. just know him, you know, from those Showtime specials, and that's the more formed Mike, but they don't know about the punk rock Mike. Yeah. Well, it, we, you know, interestingly enough, we I've got uh, uh, somewhere, it was the raw footage from JFL when he did the Rockstar routine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I digitized it for, uh, for the celebration of life. But it was two different nights and two slightly different versions. And of course, you know, what, what JFL did is they, they cut it down to a, a shorter routine using right. clips from... But the two individual performances full length are amazing. And, and at some point, I want to put all this raw stuff up on YouTube. We yeah. do have a YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, there should be an actual Mike McDonald web page. And he did have a, a, a domain registered to him. So okay, I, I'm hoping to do that. It's just, it, 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 like I said before, it's a massive project. Oh, it's time. It's, it's a lot of time, man. I mean, even doing my own stuff, I know. And I'm, you know... 
young and healthy and it's just where's the time go you don't have the time to to do it all yeah but i mean that's that's what i'd like to see i mean there is stuff out there now i mean the last thing i digitized actually was his christmas special which only aired once and was never replayed again i mean i don't think it's as strong i don't even as... know about that i mean what he had a christmas special like i didn't he, even know that he had a christmas special and he wanted it to be more like um the Dean Martin show uh, right. kind of thing. So he had a musical guest that had an accompanist. He had another comedian come on and do comedy. And then he did bits and stuff like that. And uh, I actually digitized that last year for Christmas. And the family sat around and we watched it oh. for the first time in, I think he did it in 92, maybe 93. And was that, was that aired on CBC? CBC, yeah. I'll I, I tell you what, Darren, that one I know I've got because I, I, I made the DVD. I'll get it into a file. I'll get that up on the Mike McDonald website. You uh, should. But by the end of the week, it yes, will, it'll you, be you on the website. Try for, you should try to aim for that one. Because yeah. that is, like, I mean, I, I like to think I know a fair bit about Mike. And I know people like Kenny Robinson who know a lot. I guarantee oh, yeah. Kenny, Kenny has never brought that up. So, well, I, I mean, he doesn't even remember. Uh, I remember Mike called me up. And again, we're all pack rats, right? And myself included. And Mike told me I'm doing this special and, and, and I want I want to do the routine about the green army men, you know, the guy with the gun yeah. over his head and the, the hand grenade. And, and uh, he said, do you have any of the green soldiers? I said, I have them all. Right. So I sent him a package and and he had them on the on the special and mentioned me. And it was kind of cool that uh, he used the old toys, his real old toys on TV. So, I mean, the whole point of a Christmas special is they air it year after year after year. I mean, they did that with Russell Peters. They yeah. aired that for three or four years, but that was CTV. It's a little bit different, but yeah. that's the whole point of a Christmas special. Yeah. He's yeah, before but, his time again. Yeah, when you, mentioned, when you mentioned Mike McDonald and the Christmas special, I immediately thought it was Mike as uh, doing his own version of uh, uh, of a Christmas carol where he's Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> and that, I that, see, actually, if, it would be funny because at the end of it, then Mike doesn't change at all. He still doesn't see the period of Christmas, and he just slams the door in front of like <laughs> all the ah, orphans. You know, I could see that being an interesting twist, but then also I could see CBC going, uh, uh, "Mike, we want our Christmas special to have a happy ending." And be like, "What? What happy ending? No, thank you." Right. <laughs> but I would like that. That that would be something to see. I'd be interested in. Do you remember who the other comic was on it? That. It, it, it was a female comic, uh, okay. and I, I believe it was a female singer too. And and you know when you're talking about that, I, I think there actually is a part like for this particular thing, Mike Mike had creative control over it, right? And right. Uh, I mean his bits are really strong. I mean I, it, it's an it's different than any of the other specials where it's just a stand up guy on stage in front of a huge audience. You know, it, it cut to pre taped things and stuff that seemed live, but. but I think there was a whole thing where they're talking about the suits, about, you know, you can't do this or that. He was making fun of the whole idea that he's, you know, working for the CBC and, and, and doing that stuff. I, I promise I'll get it up on the Mike McDonald uh, YouTube channel okay. um, by the end of the week for sure. And if you go there, please subscribe. We're, we're trying to get it over a thousand subscribers so we can actually monetize it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now we got a couple of minutes left and then we're going to bring Rich in. He's not in the waiting room yet. So um, if you could, if you could tell people something about Mike that they probably didn't know, what, what would you think it is? Ah, uh, geez. I 
don't I mean one thing I told uh Rich uh when when we met for the first time uh before the celebration of life we were talking about the early days and I said uh you know um Mike Mike used to be into disco <laughs> and he was really surprised by that I mean and that's why I've got the disco super wide leg jeans and the disco uh <laughs> That, that's, you know, he wore the shirt and the leather jacket, and I've got the disco boots. <laughs> now, these the, these shoes, uh, they uh, might bought them specifically because uh, they're exactly like what John Travolta is wearing in the mm -hmm. opening scene of Saturday Night Fever. And, and, and they are three-inch heels, and he wore them. I mean, he... he he wore them. He went dancing to Disco Viva in Hull and the Sly Fox. And uh, so he was really into it. He had all the moves. And he actually became a dance instructor at Fred Astaire Dance School, which is interesting because they got sued for um, manipulating people into spending a lot of money. Right. And I, I found the transcript of his testimony from the, uh, from the court case. It was in that box of stuff from Mom's house. And I read it and it just blew my mind. But he was a dance instructor, loved disco. And at the same time, everyone knows that he was totally into punk rock. Yeah. And I, I remember Scheidner was, was really impressed by the fact that Mike could be in two worlds simultaneously. He two worlds that hated each other. Two I know. Hated each other. A lot of people don't realize the punk and disco in the, the late 70s, it was, it was bad. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, and he went to both, and uh, right, yeah. Well, my dad was a my dad was a dance instructor at that place in Fred Edmonton. Fred Astaire? Oh yeah. no way! I gotta ask him about it now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a big court case, and 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 they got a they got a heavy fine. Wow! And why don't men wear heels anymore? I mean, those are amazing shoes. Well. Yeah. It, yeah. These the, these ones are three inch heels. I actually do when I when I perform, I wear two inch heels. You and, do, and the same thing. I, I Mike and I both love the pointy boots because yeah. that's from the Beatles. Yeah. And like I said, yeah. I was mini Mike, so every time something came out, he go, "John, listen to this." Uh, hey, this is Kelly Kaler, and you're listening to Anything Goes on Sirius XM. It'd probably take me about five takes. That's fine. Okay, right now? Yeah. This is Kelly... T what the fuck is that? This is Kelly Taylor on Sirius XM, listening to Anything Goes. Is that the right order? No, you're, you're, you're listening to Anything Goes on Sirius XM. Okay. This is Kelly Taylor. You're listening to Anything Goes on Sirius XM? Tate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there That's we go. That Perfect. works. Sure. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Like a question mark. I'm Ron Burgundy? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Rich, we were just talking to uh, to Johnny, and we didn't even know this, that Mike McDonald had a Christmas special, like a one-hour Christmas special. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't. It's just, it's, it's weird peeling back the, you know, the layers of the onion to finding out all these things, because, you know, today if someone does something, it, it lives forever on the internet, but this is from, the, you know, the early, I think 90s. the early 80s. The 1990s. Yeah. yeah. He's at 92. Right. Well, what, what, what I kind of... Uh, what I kind of took away from, uh, and I'd love to get Rich's opinion about this, but sort of like, uh, you know, um, uh, Mike's brother was talking about how much uh, uh, Mike loved disco, but he also was this big punk rock fan. 
and like two different we were darren was saying two different worlds that hated each other but another thing that i always noticed and what i also another thing i loved about mike was even when it came to comedy he didn't have any pretentiousness to it and he would like he loved the slapstick stuff and he loved the the sort of the more high like the more lenny brucius george carlin richard pryor stuff so it's like and to me, I always find that if you're an older comic and you if you ignore sort of what's going on today, then it's it you're kind of you're a little bit dead inside. If you can't acknowledge what what other people are doing now and at least acknowledge that it's funny, it's like I'm not I'm not on TikTok or anything like that. But I mean, I've seen some shit on it where I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd be like, wow, I'm I'm not going to try that. I'm but I'm impressed that someone else has done it and good for them. But I've always admired that about Mike, that he didn't sort of draw any lines in the sand by saying, like, that's shit or that's amazing or that's shit. But he just, he loved all of the, he could find something in every genre of music and comedy to enjoy, which is something yeah. I always liked about him. Yeah, I think what described Mike was go hard or go home. He just liked anything that was full on. And when he got into something, he was full on. I, I'm sure he got full on John Travolta, out there dancing hard in disco. I when I first met him, it was punk, Clash. It was ACDC out of that boombox nonstop. I don't care if we were in a cab or whatever. That thing he had that big street boombox that he carried everywhere. And I had a Walkman, so I was playing Elvis Costello on a Walkman. He's playing ACDC on a boombox. <laughs> Guess who dominated the sounds? Right? Right. So I would just put my Walkman away. <laughs> and, but it, it was like that with anything. I, I I didn't know a lot of people who were into um, country western music back then, and I I had kind of grown up with it in my house. My mom was from North Carolina, so when Mike and I met, you know, we're, I I turned him on to George Jones. Uh, George Jones is like the greatest country western singer, and Mike got him. He got him immediately, man. Yeah. He said, I, I hear this guy. He said, and then he didn't even know the background. I didn't even know his background. How abused George Jones was as a kid, and all the pain in him. So Mike just, he just got authentic. That's what he got. If you were authentic, he got it. He'd watch a comic. If the guy was a, you know, a, what we just call wet comic, you know, like a real muggy comic. He, he was a real physical performer, muggy with not a lot of material. If the right. guy was full on, Mike was laughing. He was into it, you know. Right. He just couldn't stand the hacks. He couldn't stand, you know, he used to say, suck half miler, suck half miler, just a half miler. You know, for him, that meant like the guy didn't go full on. And, and, that's what I think was his, you know, he, pa he had passion. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Mike was always about passion. And, you know, in the in the, the number of years before he passed away, we would always talk about his experiences in America. And there was never a time where he didn't bring up some kind of story with regards to you or some kind of connection to you. Like you set that up for him or that's how good of friends you were. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because not a lot of Canadians know much about Mike in America because they only see what happened here. They knew he was, he did well there and then he came back, but they don't realize how well he did down there or the relationships he made down there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I went up to in 1980, the first time I went into Yuck Yucks in Toronto and Mike and I met and we were like brothers. We were like, I, I, I said, well, I heard about him. I was in, I was in Ottawa playing that club. And, uh, and then I went right to Montreal and both places to go, we got a guy like you. And you know, that comics, it's like, we don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, got yeah, no yeah. guy like me, but we got a guy like you. I go, really? I don't want to hear it, man. 
you know, and then, and then, and then I go there and they, I'd heard so much about this guy before I got there. It's a classic scene. We both laughed about it later. Cause like after I get off stage, I go back and there was this place in, a, in like a, it was sort of backstage at Yuck Yucks and there were a whole bunch of comics there. And then everybody's, Hey, great, great. And then they parted. It was like a scene. They like parted. And I see this guy at the end and all the way to the back. And he sees it both like what? That's you. That's the guy. There's the guy. And it was Mike, you know, and we just started hanging out. But he, he came down to New York. I brought, I came down to New York and, and, and stayed with me and went around in the clubs. And uh, it, it was immediately clear to everybody, you know, the guy had the goods, you know, he had right. the goods, not, not just the rock and roll finish piece, but he had the goods. And, yeah. and so people got into it. When, when you first, when you first saw him in America, did you feel like this was something new? Like it was kind of like, cause a lot of, a lot of Canadians go down to the States and they have a little bit of a trouble, but I heard when it was came to Mike, it was pretty much right away embraced. Because it, it, it's, it's classic, you know, he cut, he didn't go get me on right away. He came into town for a couple of years. I remember this. And, and, and in fact, my ex-wife, Carol Lieber, and I talked about because she's like, you want to go on? He's nah, nah. He was checking it out, right. seeing what everybody was doing, getting the language straight, you know, like what references he had to switch, you know, or what, what, you know, like, like you go to England, you, you know, you, you, you know, yeah. cigarettes, bags, with all that stuff, you know, you had to like change the language and he was just checking it out for a couple of days. And then he goes on and he's got everything in his mind right and he's feel you know he's he's got the whole what the lay of the land he didn't just rush in you know like an idiot and jump on and start you know he he checked it out for a couple of days yeah that always says a lot when you know they, there are some horror stories about like comics just going over to england and they do a set their first night and they have all their reference points are are like you know they're using they're using you know canadian or american references that the brits are just like uh, we don't, we don't, and, and the thing is, it's like now it's uh, probably a little bit easier because, you know, with the internet and then cable TV and stuff, oh, and yeah. it's, there's a lot more crossover, but yeah, you know, there are stories, I, but you know, in the eighties, I, I had that I, the first time I went to England was to play this Des O'Connor and he was sort of the, uh, a Johnny Carson talk show in England. I went there in the mid eighties, 85, 86, something like that. And when I went there, they were going, okay, you go on, uh, you're, you're going there a couple of days early. So I went and found the comedy store in, in um, I think it was around Piccadilly Circus yeah, somewhere there. there. The comedy yeah, store was, there. A, it was the first comedy club open in England. And I talked, I said, look, I'm going to do a desert. And they put me on. And I did two nights, two shows there, which really helped me switch. Because I had a bit about, um, about wait, wait, about, you know, your girlfriend gets on your lap and says, am I too heavy? And I'm like, what are you, 70, 79 pounds? I said pounds, and they're like, huh? And I go, oh, that's money here. That's not weight. <laughs> right, yeah. right. You know? Yeah, well, it's, it's weird. I mean, I even got, uh, last time I was over there, which was a million years ago, but just even the difference between, like, uh, like pants and trousers. Yeah. So, I mean, if you say pants, that, that's underwear, but, like, trousers are your actual pants that you have on, and it's just those, that one little little leap that your brain has to take is going to be all the difference if you're telling a joke. So it's, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And Mike immediately, you know, Mike, it was funny because, uh, one of his first bits I remember was, you know, like Canadians go, Hey, Hey, right. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I want, he goes, you Americans make fun of us doing that. But yours is like, huh? Yeah. Hey, is much better than huh? Right. <laughs> so he, he didn't, he didn't come in there going, Hey, I'm just so glad to be here. He came in like Mike, you know, I'm Canadian and proud of it. Right. 
When yeah. I was in LA, they told me to not tell anyone I was Canadian, but like I still did because I'm like, that's what I am. Well, so I like that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah I, Mike was like right off the bat, you know, I'm Canadian and, and he had the bit, he had a bit, which is great. Not nobody probably even related to it. I, I didn't know until I got up there, you know, of watching uh, classic movies in French. Right. Right. So he had a he had a bit about that. He did it. I remember him doing it in New York, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" You know, because he was actually speaking French <laughs> in the bit. That's right. crazy. What's your favorite Mike McDonald story? Like, just a very very good story about being with Mike. Okay, so Mike and I first meet. Mark Breslin has an idea. He he sees we're so thick as thieves. You know, I, I was up there a couple times in a few months. Come and, and so he says, you guys go off and write a screenplay. Now we're, we are so whacked out of our skulls, man. We are doing every chemical and get our hands on. We don't know how to write more than a joke at a time. Because you guys go write the screenplay. He sends us up to this gig, which is a couple hours drive north of Toronto. It was like a summer vacation place, right? Oh, yeah. And so I, now uh, this, this is this I, I, I a couple of years ago. I didn't really know how this thing ended up, the way it ended up, but I found out. So Mike and I go up there and it's like, it's a it's a it's a resort and all, and and the and the band is playing and we're supposed to go on and do our first show. There's like two nights, like four shows or something. After this band goes, and the band is dirty, really dirty, and they're doing a lot of beaver jokes, you know, and and uh, you know what I mean. And uh, they were like really out dirty. <laughs> no, and, what do you mean? Go, and, and and I had to I had to slog my way through. You know, come on, do some beaver jokes. Talk about this, you know. And and I'm just the heckling was just nonstop, and I'm fighting it, but I go. I do my 45 and bring, I fight, I get some sort of semblance of control, just a drunken resort crowd. And I go, and I see Mike, I go, oh, bring my friend up now. And Mike's in the back on, come on, come on. So I'm like on stage talking, like Mike. And he goes, so I walk toward him. And the whole crowd's watching me get off the stage, walk toward him. He goes, get the car, pull up the car, go get the car, get the car. I'll hold him off. So I go, wow, oh, man. And so I go, okay, man, I go throw our stuff in the car. They're in this little cabin, you know, throw the stuff in the car, run a car. I pull up, you know, Mark, Mike doesn't drive at this time. So I pull up out front. He come out, it's like the, like a Frankenstein scene. He comes bursting out of this bar and a whole crowd's falling. What are you doing? Get back in here. You got to finish this, your manager. You got to finish your show. Mike's like, ah, ah, ah. and he jumps in the car and he blasts ACDC. We drive off. And I, I just figured for years, I thought, well, Mike just didn't want to go on because, because, you know, it just was not not going to be worth it. We just right. not going to work. Just didn't work. And I found out later. Remember Mike's bit? He'd go in 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 high school. He got uh, kicked out of high school, and the and the vice principal said, "Miss McDonald, you think one day you're going to find a job where you can just tell jokes?" And Mike would be on stage. He'd go, "Ta da!" Right? Yeah. Like I'd done it. Right? That vice principal was in the crowd, <laughs> and Mike was not going to ruin that bit. If he bit it in front of that vice principal, that bit and his part of his swagger, part of his mojo, he was not going to die in front front of that guy. And he didn't admit that to me until about three, four years ago. He came out to L.A. to do the documentary because, you know, he just he just told me, said I just couldn't cop to it. And I said, I totally get it, man. Oh, yeah. Back then we were we were tight. But we were also front. We were front. We were we were we were scared guys in certain ways. You know, we weren't going to show any kind of fear. Right. 
Well, I can tell you that I once bombed in front of the girl I loved in high school from afar, but didn't have the balls to talk to her in high school. And every time a joke died, I looked down at her and she refused to make eye contact with me. So I wish I was Mike McDonald and said, fuck this, I'm not doing this show. I bombed for 45 minutes. Wow. And every time she looked down, she's like, I'm glad I never blew you. Yeah. Breslin called us up. Breslin, they, they, Breslin called us up like he, 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 at Mike's place. We were like whacked on acid by then. By the time we got back, we were gone. And he calls us up like, you guys go back up here Saturday night. Mike's like, we're not going anywhere but here, man. We're, we're not leaving. We just went down to Yuck Ducks and did sets again, you know. It was a couple hundred bucks, not like we had a lot of money, but right. it, it was just, it was a non, it was a non-winning gig. Good Lord, comics are pussies these days. We don't go and do acid after shows. No one's ever taken me to do acid after a show. Yeah. <laughs> I, told, I don't, you know, the story, Mike, so we, we were, we were doing acid a lot and we figured we're so funny. We're so funny. What we got to do is got to tape it, tape yeah. it. And we'll have so much material, yeah. so much material. We'll just split it up. And one night we just... We're tape, we had enough wherewithal, man. We'd be laughing at howling. The tape would click out some of the, change the tape. Next day, we got four 90-minute tapes, right? Oh, my God, let's divvy up this material, man. Let's divvy it up. You know, you put the first tape in, somebody goes, open the window, and there's 15 minutes of laughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Someone says, close the window, another 15 minutes. Well, you want to close the window or open the window? What fit do you want? <laughs> you should put all those tapes out and then just call them. You had to be there. <laughs> Total, man. Do those tapes exist? No, man. They got taken over. I'm I, sure. I, don't I, don't, I don't think Mike saved those tapes. I don't man. know because oh, when, I, we had, when we had Mike on the show, we, he brought those tapes up. And I think he, that he may still, and we were just talking to his brother. His brother, he was yeah. Such a pack rat. I wouldn't be surprised. He was a pack rat, tape. man. I he had every cry. note, every set list from his trip yeah. to New York and all. I mean, I got set lists from 80, 81. You're right. He might. <laughs> well, there, there, was, there was comics that claimed what Mike used to do is that he would get guys to come over, record their conversations on acid, and then steal the material. And Mike said on our show when he was alive, it's like it was all garbage. There was nothing, like exactly like you said. Yeah. None of it was usable. I get this hair shirt for the rest of my career of stealing comic stuff, but none of it was true. And this is how shit starts, you know? It's like one little fragment of truth that gets exploded in the comic world of just horseshit. But I, no, Mike would say, I, I, you, Mike, Mike would say, you wish you had something worth stealing. Yes. <laughs> story i've actually heard that that, that said some of those tapes do exist i don't know if it was i don't it might have been simon rackoff or lauren or maybe lawrence morgenstern might have had some of those tapes mm -hmm. but i've heard that they they are still floating around and i i kind of i remember that they are still around. but what was the old stories of like mike would see someone do a bit mm -hmm. and then uh and, and then Mike would tag it, and then he would almost say, now, if, if you don't do that bit oh, yeah. like this, I, I'm going to steal it. Yeah. You've got two weeks to make that joke better. Now, well, I don't know about that, but we would say we were out spritzing, and everybody's just running around, running it, running it, you know, a group of people. Sure. And somebody says something funny, you know, like, and, and it's more than just the line there. He goes, that's a bit. And they go, you got two weeks to get it on stage. Right. You don't get on stage two weeks, I'm going to have it. Right. And that happened. And that right. happens. I go, hey, hey, man, you never put it on stage. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. the only way I know that. But I don't think he'd like do a tag because Mike was generous. I mean, you know, we did this. You know, he'd call a stage. You'd have a stack of cocktail napkins for each other with stuff scribbled on. Here's a tag yeah. for this. Maybe this joke will work better that way. Cut the. You know. We would give notes to you. He wouldn't tag somebody else's joke and then try to claim propriety to it. I don't think that's much. Now, my, one of my favorite stories about, about Mike is if he saw a bit that he didn't like, he would buy the joke from the comic just so that joke would never be told again. Yeah. He actually right. said he did yeah. that. I know. He he I know. That. Also, I remember <laughs> saying that, uh, you know, that when he would... <laughs> yeah. Or, or when Mike would, would say that about if you don't do this bit better, that he would say that to almost encourage the comic. Yes. Yeah to get their act together and write that joke better, even though if he had no intention of ever doing it. Right. So it was just, I, mean, might. I think in, in the early days, he might've been a, a very much about the tough love sort of. Uh, oh, he was a cop, man. He had a cop mentality about comedy. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Yeah. He wore those combat boots, you yeah. know, he had the rolled up jeans. He had a clash look when I first met him, you know? And uh, yeah, he had the attitude to match. And then, of course, we were doing so much blow back then that we were sweating like crazy. So Mike had a handkerchief around it. You know, we, it, it started, it started, you know, layering up. Not quite, you know, Freddie Mercury from, but but it started layering up. You know. Yeah, I uh, I, I gotta say that that like one of the things that, I, that we said to Mike's brother that both like when I was growing up in 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 Canada, there was like. Both you, both Mike and yourself were for, sort of one of the first two comics that I remember actually recognizing as comics. So I remember so many of your Tonight Show appearances uh, from like back in the 80s. There was like both Mike in Canada and you in America. Because it's like growing up, my knowledge of comics wasn't that huge. because so, Also because it wasn't that much. But it was also the time when like Evening at the Improv was starting. A lot of those sort of like, uh, you know, some of those shows mm -hmm. where comics would just come on and do eight minutes or something like that. But I remember you from um, so many Tonight Show appearances that I recognized both you and Mike as, as comics, even when my knowledge was only like, oh, comedians, that's George Carlin and Steve Martin. But then I was like, oh, but but that guy's a comic too, because I've seen him so many times, and, and Mike the same here in Canada. So it was always one, that's one of my memories growing up, is both of, of you yeah. and Mike as recognizable guys on TV. So... And by I was the waiting way, for a question there, yeah, Dave. I was like, is there a question? Yeah, yeah. Where's this one? Great interviewer, Dave. You're a great that. interviewer. <laughs> a long tradition of me just rambling on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he mentioned my name, so he had my attention. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, by, and by the way, all those episodes of Evening at the Improv, they are on Amazon Prime. All 20 yeah, they are. seasons. Because I was sifting through. There's a couple episodes that you're on, Rich. Uh, David Feldman, like old, old, old clips from like 91, 92. Uh, the first one I did, I did the first batch in 81. Wow. Um, and and then I got, and I recommended Mike, and Mike got the show, I think in like the third, second. Then I did the second, and they did a second batch early in 82, and I think Mike later that year did his first one later that year because um, he, he came down to New York and, uh, and uh, they saw him there. I remember watching Evening of the Improv with my brother and my cousin, and I was so young, I didn't, I would just laugh when they laughed, because I had no idea what anyone was talking <laughs> yeah. about. Well, Mike, you know, but that's why you'd laugh, you laugh because other people laugh, and I learned yeah. that, you know, Mike yeah. uh, was big just, just for laughs festival, he was big, right? He, and so one year, I, I did a bunch of them about five years in a row, I think, in the late 80s, and one year he said, you got to get up here early and go to the French festival first, right? So the mm -hmm. French 
speaking festival before the game. And we go, and we, you know, you see certain acts like, you know, they're, they're, they're easy to get because they're magicians or some sort of yeah, variety acts or right, yeah. variety. But we went to see a stand up comic. And I don't speak a word of French, but I found myself about halfway through, I'm laughing. And I don't know why I'm laughing. Yeah. But everybody else is laughing around me. So I get caught up in the rhythm. And I don't know a word, that I'm, you know. One of the uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you outside of the mic mic part is when you know that documentary I am comic, one of which you know if people don't know that you were in and, and kind of you came back into comedy after years of being away. One of the things I really enjoyed about it is because I'm now almost thirty years in, I'm fifty and considering quitting. There's a whole section in that of guys why they stopped doing comedy. And I really found it interesting. Each person had their own reason and, you know, it was right for them. And you were just trying to get back into it and they're talking about quitting, you know? So you had obviously taken a break. So what was the real reason for you to get back in at that moment? Uh, I realized that um, how, mu how much um, um, my mental health depended on it. You right. know, Mike and I both suffered uh, from depression, clinical depression, whatever you want to call it, PTSD from the violence of the childhood or the, or the, in my case, and, and then the other things that happened. So when I quit doing it and when I started slowing down doing it, I, I started, I didn't even notice it. I started spiraling down in the, in the depression. And when I start when I came back doing it, it, it a lot of things just, it's got, got right again. And right. how much, you know, what comics always talk about, Oh, we give, we make people laugh, we give. But for many of us, man, that stuff's like, it's, it's better than antidepressant, anything that I right. can possibly take chemically. This balances me out in a way. It, it always has. Uh, the connection I make with people I'm unable to make with strangers. Otherwise, there's all sorts of the music of laughter. does a lot for me, a lot. And Mike and I often talked about that. Well, isn't it funny so, that you guys did so many drugs and you probably would say that the best drug you ever did was stand-up? Oh, be no fair? question. No question. I mean, we're con you know, you're chasing that stage high. At least for us, because we come off. Back then, this is when the before drunk driving laws changed and all. They were selling liquor in these clubs, man. They they sent you know hundreds of people out hammered, hammered yeah. behind the wheel. Oh yeah. And, they, and, and and younger people don't remember this. So, they, so the club owners were like, they're selling liquor. Stay on as long as you want. So Mike and I, you know, we were guys. We're doing two hour shows constantly. You come off stage after two hours, you are high as a kite, man. You are yeah. flying. So who wants to come down? It's like oh, yeah. chase that high. We're constantly chasing that stage high, and that stage high, man, is is something you know. You every every comic knows what it what it's about when you come off. It's that rush of endorphins. You could I could get on stage being like, oh, this is gonna suck, and then it just turns into a great show, and I'm just like, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. The, the, the worst yeah, day yeah, that yeah. you have, if the the worst day that you, you're having can be turned around completely by one good set. It's like if they could put that eight minutes into a pill of you killing, and uh, it, it would there, there would there would be a lot less sad people around. If they well, could I found out. Find that. I found out that my mom passed away thirty minutes before I had to do a show, and my first thing was I got to get up and do my show. And right. nobody let me, of course, thank God, because that would have been bad. But it was the first thing I thought. I'm like, I have to, I have to. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything disappears when you're up there. There's no past. There's no future. It's just that moment. And there's nothing else I've found in my life that puts me in a moment like that. You know, uh, besides the acid trips, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now, when, during, the, during the time of you not performing, Mike was performing in those times. 
Did you yeah, ever talk, yeah. did you ever but he, talk but he, to him? And but he had his times too. And I remember Mike, you know, one time I had to come over like a, like this guy was so funny. I was not getting out of my bed. I was so depressed. I was in my bed for months. I mean, my, my wife will tell you. I mean, yeah. just and this guy goes, I want to represent you. <laughs> and I was so like showbiz reflex. Well, if you do, you're okay. <laughs> you know, I guess so. And then Mike calls up and, and says, uh, are you going to go? I said, I can't drive the car. So Mike came over to drive me over to Hollywood to sign papers for this guy to represent me. And the guy told me later, he, said, he came in and said, I don't, I thought you guys were high as a kite, you know, and right. really it was just depression. It was strictly just depression. And Mike was fighting it too. I mean, he had a hard time. He's good. This will get me out of my head, get me over there to do something else mm-hmm. besides sitting here wanting to kill myself. He was struggling at the same time. We often struggled at the same time. Right. You know? Well, it's funny, you know, I never understood, like, the whole Brian Wilson lying down thing, I never got it because I never suffered from depression, and only in, like, the last five years have I suffered, and now I get it, you know? Until you kind of go through it, you just don't understand why you won't leave the bed, why just lying in bed is good, you know? Like, it's the only thing you can do. You know, there are two big alleys, uh, big peak areas for men with suicide, and it's your late teens, right, right? And and your late 40s, early 50s. Right. In your late teens, though, you don't know where you're going to be in the world. You're afraid you won't be anything in the world. Right. That, that's like it's behind something. I'm not going to get too deep in all of it, but what I've, yeah. what I've been re- reading and telling. And, and then in the, in the late 40s, late 50s, it's like you're assessed yourself as a failure. I haven't made it. I haven't become this. And I'm never going to be that now. I'm out of time. Right. So, uh, you know, the fact that you start feeling it now, it's not a mistake. I mean, for me, it was the same thing. You know, I, I kind of ran out my, my, um, uh, uh, performance thing, you know. I didn't, I didn't get over the hump. You know, I had this story about being heckled by Sean Penn in Charleston after my last pilot, TV pilot, that failed. So it's five TV pilots. I was not going to get a series. It became evident. You know, I, right. There were five networks back then. It was like that. That's. And then I went out on the road and got heckled, and uh, hung out with him all night. At the end of the night, he's like, "I got some. I want to tell you." And I thought he was going to go, "Let's do a movie together." He says. You got to move to Los Angeles. I went, I've been in Los Angeles for ten years. Obviously, I thought he knew who I was. <laughs> I made a dent. Yeah. So I came back, started writing for TV, and going from being a stand-up where you run everything to being on writing staff it was a huge change, and then it just started sliding, man. And I stopped. I started performing less and less. Before I know it, buddy, I think I did my last Tonight Show with Leno, like '97 or something. I did, I don't know, fourteen or something with Carson, and five or six with Leno, and that. Or Letterman. Letterman shot '97 or something like that, and it was like after that I stopped performing completely, and then I really started going downhill. Yeah, well, and it's amazing too that it's sort of like it's almost like a boxer or or like a like a like a fighter. You know, you just like if you have one bad show, then you're always like I got to get back in there, and then just to get that, and then even if it's one more good set, you're like all right, I'm back. Right? There is that yeah. sort of feeling that you just you almost need a redemption set. And, and Mike had that thing going on with LA, you know, I mean, you know, successful as he was in Canada, he is, he, you know, we both couldn't, back then you really needed tonight, tonight shows, you could do 20, 30 tonight shows and it just didn't matter. Yeah. It wasn't like the seventies, you know, it wasn't like the sixties and Mike couldn't get over that hump the way I couldn't get over that hump. And it, it eats at you a little bit, you know, right. if you don't get right about it and he, he got right about it at the end, but it was, you know, there was a period where it, it's, it's, I don't want to say bitter, but you're kind of like, ah, oh, gosh, I, what did I do wrong? What, you look, you start looking back, well, actually, maybe I should have done more of this and less of that. And 
what did I do wrong? I, I, I went out as hard as I could and made as many people laugh as much as I could and just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. Well, I think we I, were talking to, to his brother about it, and I think a lot of it is, in Mike's case, he almost died. He got that second chance. And so I think his idea of what success is changed. I, I think, I think that, that last five years, success was, I just want to do a show. And if I can just do a show, that's success. You know, when we first started, we weren't seeing what we could get up there. It wasn't like what I can get. When you first started doing it, you just want to see if you can make people laugh. You want to make people laugh. Make people, and we lost that. It gets to the point where that's what things showbiz does to you. You, know, you lose that. I'm just doing this to, for the pure aspect of making people laugh. So like you come off like, what did I get? What did I get out of that? I should get more than that. I should get more than the laughter. No, you should never get more than the laughter. Right. And then when he came back, I know because Mike, he, we talked about exactly that. He said, I just love to hear the laughter now. Again, that's all I care about is the laughter. But once he got that, then it was like we were back to the purity when we first started. But you get right. lost for a while. Right. I would love to see a study on comedians' brains like – when we die, they look at our brains because I got diagnosed with ADHD, excuse me, ADHD, um, anxiety and depression. And my doctor's like, well, of course you're a stand-up comedian. He's like, I wouldn't, I would be shocked if you weren't a stand-up comedian <laughs> yeah. because most of those, most people that are stand-up comedians, it's a coping mechanism. That's why they got into it. Of course. My boyfriend's a chef. He got, he, he got diagnosed with ADHD and it's the same thing. Of course you're a chef. Of course you're in this thing where you can party all night and you can medicate yourself all night and then you go to work and still do it. It's just like, it, it, I, I think that that's why so many comics are mentally ill. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the only thing we can do. We can't be lawyers. Well, we can't be doctors. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, it, I, I, I realized I went to law school. People were like, why didn't you go? Because I realized somewhere unconsciously in there, I was not going to be able to do it. Right. I was a short, like, you know, you talked about the ADHD. I was a short attention span guy. I was good for short bursts of activity. Short bursts of intense activity was right what I was good at. Yeah, who wants yeah. a lawyer with a short attention span? That's not really detail-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the journey, have you ever noticed what's outside that window? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, oh, yeah. That's all, and also, it's sort of like the idea, like, like chefs and comedians, Also, we are, we're also a part of this bubble, too, where we're surrounded by other people that are just like us as well. Absolutely, yeah. And sort of like, yeah. you know, who we're hanging out with at the back of the club uh, or, you know, and who we mix with when if we go to a bar afterwards. We're, like, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse that I've realized that, like, most of the friends that I've known for 20 years or even 20, yeah, about 20, 25 years are all people that I've only known by hanging out in the back of a comedy club or hanging out with for an hour after after a show. It's just like I've, I'm knowing, yeah, most comics that I know and most of my friends are comics are people that I just know in like little bursts of just like, hey, nice to see you. And we hang out for 10 or 15, 20 minutes and that's that's it, you know? It's, it's weird. Yeah. It's a weird relationship and a community. The cooking world is the exact same. Like when I started dating my boyfriend, I thought, Oh, I party with comics. I can party with chefs. Give me a break. And then I partied with chefs. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a little baby. <laughs> I'm a little baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're drunk and they can use knives. We're drunk and they can drunk. make a microphone. They're drunk. They're high. They play this game called uh, waiting for the check to clear. So they'll go to the bar at yeah. midnight and wait until 2 so they can pay for their tab. Right. <laughs> when, they get, when they get their payday. Like they get their payday, yeah. 
Yeah. It's fun. It's interesting. Are any of the guys that you started with, Rich, still doing it that you can kind of reminisce like this? Yeah, yeah, there are there are comics still doing it, not just the ones that that are household names, no. but you change, yeah. you know. Uh, like I said, when I say get over the hump, which is really to me has always been drawing in the theaters, drawing yes. in the theaters. That's the Snake River jump for comedians, you know. Right. Every comic goes, I'm selling out the clubs, I'm selling the clubs. Yeah, and then you go. I, I had that experience where you know, you, then you go to the theaters. I had three hundred people in a twelve hundred seater. You know what I mean? And okay. so that's the big, big jump. So there are people who are still doing it, but you, you're doing it in um, uh, cruise ships. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, either either the audience follows you out of the comedy clubs into the theaters, or you follow them onto the cruise ships and the the uh, uh, senior citizen circuit. You know what I mean? Right. The over 55 communities, that sort of thing. One so, of the, one of the, go ahead. Sorry. So you know, there are comics that, that I, you know, that I, that I started with that are still doing it, but they're just doing it not in that way. It, you, you, you can't think of being relevant. If you can be employed, that's enough, but you right. can no longer think about being relevant. I mean, right. one of the, one of the best shows I saw, we, me and Dave were in LA a year or two ago. Was it a year, Dave, a year ago, a year ago. And we went and saw Jay Leno on the Sunday night at the oh, yeah. Magic uh, Club. And opening was Larry Miller and Jimmy Brogan. And it was like, like, I like Jay, don't get me wrong, but those two were bucket list comics, Brogan and Larry Miller. Because being in Toronto, I can see Jay Leno. He comes up here, he does theaters, like you said. But those two guys would never have a chance to see them, especially no. Larry after his accident. He only performs there, I heard. So I mean, it's like, it was really amazing to see they all, you could tell, they all like working together. They were all doing, like you said, for the laughs. It wasn't about anything else but a Sunday night, making, you know, 200 people laugh in a comedy club. And it really was one of the best shows I ever saw. Of yeah, thousands. That's, that, that's, that's, Leno's been doing that club since, uh, like Sunday nights at that club since, mm -hmm. since the 80s. He, he was like one of the first comics who went and worked there in 78 when the place opened. Right. So that's the same thing on a Sunday night. You may see that. Seinfeld, Chris Rock, opening for Jay, like doing a few minutes of the opening for Jay. That, mm -hmm. But there are comics you'll see down there. They, they have like 10 comics in a night or 14 comics in a night. You'll see interspersed with younger comics, some old guys like myself or Alan Havey, you know, mm -hmm. some other comics to, down there still doing it, you know, our age. It's good to see. I mean, I, I've, uh, to me, age is just a number, especially in stand-up comedy. Of course, you wish bookers thought that way. They don't. But like you said, there are other ways now with cruise ships and other things. It, 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 it's understandable. The age of the, of the audience in the club stays the same, and the right. comic gets older. Right. And they're always going to be like between, you know, their early 20s to up to late 30s, basically, because once they have kids and they start, you know, they're in soccer's on Saturday, the whole thing changes. Yeah. So you get older, they stay the same age. The club owners are like, look, we just want people their age talking to them. That's right. that's understandable. Like we yeah. ran the old guys out. You know, when we came along, they tried to play our clubs, London Lee or these kind of old comics. We'd run them right into the guardrail. Right. You know, they didn't have a chance against us because that was our people, our age group in front of us. So it's this it's always that way, but doesn't mean we can't be funny. And even young people, as long as you acknowledge. You know, and don't try to look hip, you know, like, you know, I love these comics that they try to use the hip phrases. Thinking, there's some comic that I saw not long ago still trying to do like young 
singer, like a Justin Bieber reference or something. I said, even the attempt was missed, man. It was just a pathetic attempt. <laughs> so, you know, a Kardashian reference. I'm staying hip. I'm staying up with the kids, you know. Yeah. Well, then it's, then it's also, also cringeworthy when, uh, when there is a, a comic that doesn't update their set either. I remember seeing a, a comic that I loved in the 80s. I'm not going to say who it was, but his opening joke was involved him going down to the front desk to rent a VCR back up to his room and, and then for him to watch a dirty movie. And I remember, cause I remember seeing him on the lineup and going like, Oh my God, I love this guy from Letterman. He's so hilarious. Like I grew up with this guy and then you see him on stage and you're just sort of like, yeah, it's just yeah. like, and then also sort of like, or when you hear the odd comic still reference uh, Spectrovision. <laughs> which isn't even a thing anymore. You're just sort of like, oh, man. Maybe they're doing it on purpose. Maybe they're really cerebral about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 Can't drop those, they can't drop those bits, man. You know, you have to drop and drop. And you, you know, you outgrow bits. You know, Mike and I, would. You'd be like, you'd see him six months later, you go, those other bits, he just outgrew them. You know, you use something new. That's where you constantly there's nothing. You say there's nothing like the smell of new material, man. Right. I love that new material smell. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I always think, too, it's like after a certain point, a joke doesn't need to prove itself anymore, but the comic still does. You know, I mean, a comic has to go up and prove itself. Right. And then even sometimes, like, I've had other comics being like, oh, well, why don't you do this joke anymore? I'm like, you know, th that joke had its time, and... It doesn't need to prove itself anymore. It's like, you know, I still feel like I do, but the old jokes don't have to. So, you know, some things you got to move on to. And it was always, I mean, Mike used to end his shows with talking about when he knew his funny came back, when he was able to make his wife laugh, and he would do this long bit about watching Family Feud. And this, this dude, Darren, you remember the dead hooker jokes? Yeah. 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 So it's like, that's, I mean, every comic sort of has that spark and go, oh, I'm back now. I can, I can start, I can, I think I can go and do this again. So that was always one of the jokes where it was like, uh, it was always, it, you know, you always hate to refer to a joke as heartwarming, but that was always one of the ones that was sort of like, oh, that's, that's nice to see. Oh. You can do a bunch of dead joke, dead hooker jokes. And that's, uh, <laughs> that, what, that's what makes you uh, feel like you can come back. To the Mike McDonald was literally my mom's favorite comic. She was always like, she went nuts when she found out I got to do shows with him, but I don't think I ever saw my mom laugh harder than watching her watching her watch his bit on him opening a can of cat food, and it was on one of his Just for Laughs gala, and I think like she literally peed her pants on our couch watching it. Like <laughs> I'll never forget that, and like she yeah she was just in shock that I got to actually meet him and hang out with him, and yeah it was it was pretty crazy. It was so funny too. How, how many professions can you say peeing your pants is a good thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, we got to wrap this up. I want to say thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it. We're uh, we we spoke to Johnny Vegas, and we're just trying to get the word out on how great Mike is. And we know that your relationship with with him was a strong one. And like I said, the last couple of years, he never didn't have a conversation without bringing you up. So we appreciate your time. I love the guy. I still do. Miss him. He's up on my wall. He's in my heart. Uh, you know, uh, thanks.
This is William Forsyth, and you're listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost. Oh, that was so great. That was good. I literally teared up when I saw him. I did. Like, I started... Because he looks so much like Mike and he sounded so much like Mike. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, I just was like, Ugh. I miss Mike McDonald a lot. Because he, I knew him at the last five years, like we were saying. And he was the kindest, funniest person. He really cared about comics. He cared about, he just wanted people to be good. He really cared about women and not in a gross way. Like he really. No, that is, he, that is something I'm glad that you did bring up. Because, I mean, I noticed that and. A lot of his posts on the internet yeah. was very much defending of women and telling some of the guys that are even his friends that it's like, this isn't cool anymore. And mm-hmm. trying to be that voice of reason, you know, maybe a bridge towards the older guys, but yeah, he wasn't having any of it. He was always standing up for women. That's for sure. Yeah. He really was. He was great. He was the best. 